Well, thank you once again for your warm welcome. I've um, had lots of good connections with Dremoyne Presbyterian Church via SMBC students and staff and heard so many good things, so it's lovely to be with you this morning. There's an outline of what I'm going to say inside the handout you would have got as you arrived. Uh, let's pray as we dive into God's Word now. Father God, it's such a a privilege to be able to hear you speak as we open your word. Please give us hearts that are ready to hear and minds that are ready to listen and wills that are ready to respond. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Natasha is a 21-year-old Ukrainian woman. When the Russian invasion began in February last year, Her home city of Kharkiv was a major target. She walked for 12 hours in freezing temperatures to seek safety, with a three-year-old in tow while she was seven months pregnant. She said, Nobody cared that I was pregnant and tugging my daughter along. I can't be angry at those who didn't stop for us, though. Most of the cars were full. Hafsa is an Ethiopian mother of six, There's been a protracted drought in her region, the Horn of Africa, which has created one of the worst climate-related emergencies of the past 40 years. She's already lost 25 livestock, and she's struggling to save the lives of her remaining camels. She says, I can't afford to feed them corn. We don't even have enough for us. Dea Pertiwi is a 30-year-old Indonesian woman. During a severe COVID outbreak in her region, she found herself suddenly grieving the loss of half her family. Within the space of five days, her parents died, her pregnant sister Debbie died, and so did her sister's unborn child. These are heartbreaking stories, aren't they? But tragically, they're not exceptional as we look around our world. See, all around our world, disasters have been occurring, disasters are occurring, and people are being caught up in them, and the personal toll is terrible. And often when disaster does strike, whether it's a a drought or a bushfire here in Australia or a war or a pandemic around the world, often when that happens, we turn to those in charge and ask, what are you going to do? What's going to be your disaster response? If you think back to 2020 and when COVID hit, that's all anyone was talking about, wasn't it? Is what's the government's disaster response, COVID response? Uh, And it wasn't just governments, it was schools and businesses were all making a COVID response. Every website back then had a our COVID response link right up the top, usually flashing, didn't it? Uh, That was the year that I started serving as principal of SNBC and I think I spent more time on our COVID response than anything else in 2020. When disaster strikes, we turn to those in charge and we say, what will be your disaster response? Well, what if we do that with God? What if we turn to God and say, what is your disaster response, God? If God had a website, what would be on the disaster response link? What would it say if you clicked on it? See, when when God looks at the world right now and he sees these disasters, all this this suffering, the brokenness, the hurt, the poverty, the anxiety, when God sees all that, 
What's his response? What does God plan to do? Well, I have some big news for us here at Dremoyne Presbyterian Church this morning. I have God's disaster response. And I can read it out to you right now. In fact, it was just read out to us a few moments ago in Genesis 12. So please turn to Genesis 12 if it's still not open in front of you because we're going to look at these three verses at the start of Genesis 12 in detail this morning. Now, why do I say that these three verses are God's response to the brokenness of the world? Why do I say that? Well, it's partly because of what has come before Genesis 12. So I just want to fill us in on the picture uh, from Genesis 1 to 11. See, by the time we get to Genesis 12, so at the end of chapter 11, the rich beauty and blessing that was there at the start in Eden has been lost. Access to God's wonderful presence has been lost. And the world in those chapters leading up to chapter 12 has descended into a place of chaos and a place of curse. There has been conflict. There's been murder. It's got so bad that God in chapter 6 has sent a flood to wipe humanity out. But then after the flood, things were no better. In chapter 11, the people get together and they try to build a tower. Tower of Babel. They're grasping to bring back the feelings of security and worth and importance which had been lost at the fall. Uh, but if you know that story in chapter 11, you'll know that it ended, it ended in disaster and the people were scattered. So by the end of Genesis chapter 11, what do we have? We've got humanity trapped in a broken world which they have tried but un, are unable to fix a world filled with strife and suffering, with selfishness and grasping, with death and with loss. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound a little bit like the world we find ourselves in in 2023, the world experienced by Natasha and Hafsa and Dea? So that's the state of the world at Genesis chapter 11. And if you're reading through from the start, you're wondering by this point, is there any hope for the future? Or is it all hopeless? But then Genesis 12, verse 1, God speaks. And let's have a look at those verses again. Genesis 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. What is God's response to the brokenness of the world? Well, we're going to find a three-part answer in these three verses. And the first part of the answer is that God has a plan. God has a plan to bless. His response to the brokenness of the world, the the, the brokenness that we saw in Genesis 3 to 11, all the pain and death and suffering and loss, his response is this massive, unmerited outpouring of 
blessing. Did you notice how many times that word bless appears in these short verses? I will bless you. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. All peoples on earth will be blessed. Five times in those short verses, five times. Now what's interesting is if we go back and read Genesis 3 to 11 where the world descends into chaos and curse, the word curse actually appears five times. So it seems that in these verses where we're seeing this plan of God which is to undo the curse with, with blessing, to undo the brokenness of the world. Because, of course, back at the start, back in Genesis chapter 1, that was God's plan for humanity, blessing. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, God's just finished creating humanity, and it says God blessed humanity. That was God's intention, God's plan, God's good plan of blessing. And so what we have here in Genesis 12, it's like creation all over again. In fact, one writer puts it this way. He says Genesis 12 is a second creation account. A second creation account. You think about it. Genesis 1, by his command, God summons the earth into existence. And then here in Genesis 12, again, by his word, by his command, God summons a new humanity, a new people into existence. In Genesis 1, you have this move from formless chaos to life and blessing. And then in Genesis 12, the second creation account, you have this move from the chaos of a broken and suffering world to the hope of a new blessed people. Genesis 12, you can call it a second creation account where God reveals this wonderful plan to undo the curse and restore blessing to the world. And just as with that first creation in Genesis 1, this second creation account in Genesis 12 is all God. It's 100% God. What have humans done to deserve this by Genesis 12? What has Abram done to deserve this, to earn it? Nothing. Ever since Adam and Eve were cast out uh, out of the garden, humans have been striving to get back the goodness, the blessing of that place. They've been trying and failing. They can't. They can't do it. But but God can, and God promises to do just that here in chapter 12. Back in Genesis 11, you've got the people building that tower, the Tower of Babel. Why did they do that? It says in Genesis 11, verse 4, it says that they did it to make a name for themselves. They did it to make a name for themselves. What happened next? Well, if you know the story, you'll know that God confused their language, and so the place was called Babel, which means confused. So in a funny kind of way, they did make a name for themselves, didn't they? A name that commemorated their failure. That was Genesis 11, the human effort to solve the problems. What happens in Genesis 12? God says, I will make your name great. See, God's going to do it. What humankind attempted and failed to get for themselves in chapter 11, God is going to graciously give for humans, to humans, in Genesis 12. This is very good news. You see, throughout history, we humans, we've been struggling 
to respond to the disasters in the world around us, to the suffering in the world around us. We've been trying to fix our problems, but it's beyond us. But here in Genesis 12, we find such very, very good news. God has a plan to bless, a plan to restore, a plan to redeem. The all-powerful, all-sovereign God who can do what we have tried and failed to do. This is very good news. And what makes it very good news, very, very good news for you and for me, is that this plan that we read about in Genesis 12 isn't just a plan for Abram. It isn't just a plan for his descendants. It's a plan for all peoples. A plan for all peoples. Verse 3, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is very good news. So we're asking this question today, what is God's response to the brokenness of the world? We're finding a three-part answer in these three short verses in Genesis 12, and we've seen the first part of that answer. That is, God has a plan to bless. Now for the second part. God is carrying out this plan through us, that is, through his people. Let's look at these three verses again. And as I read these same three verses again this time, let's look at who it is that God is using to carry out his plan. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed. Through you. See, God is the one doing all this, this work, all this I will bless, I will do, but who's he doing it through? He says, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God is going to use Abram and Abram's descendants to carry out this plan. It's a two-stage plan. Let's look at the way he's going to carry out this plan. Stage one, I will bless you. Stage one, people will be blessed through you. It's this two-stage pan. It's this pattern of salvation that we find right through the Bible. I will bless you, he says to Abram, by giving you all those things that were lost at the fall, all those things that were lost in Genesis 3, a great nation, a great name, land, prosperity, all those things that were lost at the fall. I will give you those things. But then, stage two, others will be drawn into that. All peoples will be blessed through that. God's ultimate plan is to bless all nations, but he does it through the ones that he's blessing. They're the ones who carry out this plan, Abram and his descendants. And if we zoom out of Genesis 12 and look at the whole storyline of the Bible, we'll discover that Abram and his descendants, well, we are part of that descendants. The storyline of the Bible is that his descendants are at first the people of Israel but when they fail to cooperate with God's plan, that they be the ones through whom he carries out his, his mission, his plan to bless, God raises up a perfect descendant of Abraham, Jesus himself, the ultimate child of Abraham who dies that all people might be blessed. But that's not the full story of who are the descendants of Abraham because the New Testament goes on to say that all who believe in Jesus become the spiritual descendants of Abraham and so become the ones through whom God is carrying out this work. 
I'm going to read from Galatians 3, verse 26, which summarizes this. Galatians 3, 26 says, If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. See, that's us. That's us. If we're followers of Christ, we are heirs. Heirs of the promise. We inherit this wonderful promise of blessing. And heirs also of the task, the task of being the ones through whom God carries out this glorious plan. See, we've been given this task, if we're followers of Christ, of receiving blessing and being a channel for blessing. We're blessed to be a blessing. We who know the true hope of the coming of the kingdom, the, the, the gospel, the way through which God is going to bring blessing, we who know that become a channel of being, of sharing it with others. So that's our task. We, we see that, that task first emerging in Genesis 12 and it's running right through the Bible. We are blessed to be a blessing. Uh, blessed, we experience the, the glories of salvation, the wonderful wonder of salvation, of knowing the gospel in order that we might bring blessing to others, that we might show the good news, tell the good news to others. Show it by the way we live, by the hope that we have, by the life that we lead. Tell it to others. Tell the good news to those around us, to those around the world. So the question we've been asking today is, what is God's response to the brokenness of the world? What's his disaster response? We're finding this three-part answer, and so far we've seen the first two points. God has a plan to bless, point one. God's carrying out his plan through us, point two. And now the third part, carrying out God's plan takes faith. Carrying out God's plan takes faith. Just look over those three verses once more. What is it that Abraham, as the implementer of God's plan, as the one through whom God is going to work, what is it that Abraham needs to contribute? What is it he needs to bring to the table? After all, it's God saying, I will do this, I will do this. What is it? What's Abraham's part? Verse 1, God says, Go from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land I will show you. What's Abraham going to need? Abraham going to need to do that. He's, he's going to need faith. That's what he brings to the table. See, so notice the pattern here. We've got this command, go. And then we've got these promises, I will give you, I will show you, I will bless you. Now, if Abraham's going to obey that command, he's going to need to believe those promises. Believe the promises and so obey the command. And that's what faith is. And it's the same for us today. If we're going to be part of what God is doing and in carrying out his good plan to bless others, we too need that same faith because we too have promises, wonderful promises in the gospel, don't we? Blessing, eternal life, future kingdom. We have these promises, but we also have commands from God, commands to make disciples, to be, to be his witnesses, to show and to tell the gospel. We have these commands. And we too need to learn to believe those promises and so obey those commands. And it's when we learn to do that, that God is pleased to carry out his good plan to bless the world through us as well.
Now, as we heard before in the kids' talk, this isn't always easy. Faith isn't always easy. Look at Abraham. Look at Abraham's story. It wasn't easy for him. Think about the promise and the command for Abram. The promise was very hard to believe. God was promising to make him a great nation. Now, I don't know much about becoming a great nation, but I know that at least you need land and you need people to have a great nation. And Abraham had had neither of those. We saw at the end of chapter 11 there, his, his wife was unable to conceive. So he didn't have a single child, let alone lots of people. And he was a traveling wanderer. He didn't have land either. It was a hard promise to believe. And the command, it would have been hard to obey. Go, verse 1, from your country, from your people, from your father's household. There's so much loss, so much leaving, so much risk involved in this carrying out of God's command for Abram. Abram has to leave it all behind to a place he's never seen, a place that he doesn't even know where he is. Faith is hard. Believing God's promises can be hard. Obeying God's commands can be hard. Sometimes you might wonder, why does God make it that way? Why doesn't God make it so that faith is easier? As one writer put it, describing what's going on here in Genesis 12, this tactic of God seems odd. God gets a childless, landless couple and says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Why does he ask them to do that? Why does he ask them to leave every single comfort and security, leave their land, go somewhere else? Why does he ask them to divest themselves of every existing human connection they have? Why does God make it so hard for them? Could it be that God wants them to learn to trust him? Could it be that God wants Abram and his wife Sarai to depend on him and him alone and that he even deliberately sets things up so that there's nothing left for them to trust in apart from God's promise? Could it be that God's plans are carried out when his people fully, fully entrust themselves to him? John Calvin paraphrases it this way. God's called away, Abram, he paraphrases it this way. I command thee to go forth with closed eyes until having renounced thy country, thou shalt have given thyself wholly to me. See, faith is hard because it involves giving ourselves wholly to God and trusting ourselves wholly to God. And I've got to be honest with you, I find this hard. I have found it hard at the various stages. Uh, when we were deciding to, to leave Australia behind and, and move to Indonesia, I found that decision really hard. And now that we're here living in Australia, I find obeying the command and believing the promises can be hard. Having the, the courage to share the good news with a, a parent while I'm watching Liam play cricket. Or having the... Uh, the courage to set aside time to pray for the gospel going out into the world or to give money to the gospel going into the world. Believing those promises and so obeying those commands sacrificially, as Abram was called to do, that's, it's hard. It's hard for us today, just as it was hard for him then. 
But the good news is that is the journey we are on. That is the journey Abram was on. And if you want to lead, read his story through Genesis 12 to 25, you'll see he was, he was learning faith through all those faith tests that God gave him. But the good news is that that's what God wants us to do. And God is coming, he's sending his spirit to us to help us to grow in that, that we might be his people carrying out his, uh, his plan, bringing his blessing. And there's no better place for you and me to be than learning to entrust ourselves fully to him. And there's no better place for the people around us than for us to be doing that because that's when God is able to use us to bless the people around us, to bless the world. So our question today has been, what is God's response to the brokenness of the world? What's his disaster response? We've seen a three-part answer, haven't we? God has a plan to bless. God is carrying out that plan through us, his people. And carrying out that plan takes faith. Let's finish by applying this to our lives. Psychologists at Swinburne University have done research into the response of young Australians to the pandemic. And the study showed that record numbers since the pandemic of young Australians are struggling with anxiety, with depression, with stress in ways that they weren't before. So apparently depression scores in young Australians are four times what they were before the pandemic. And the researchers have sought to explain this and they've said that COVID has come at a critical moment for young Australians. It's come at a time when they're laying their foundations, when they're planning their future, uh, when they're thinking about what the rest of their life will be. And what they feel, many feel like they have lost through the disruption of COVID is hope. The promise of a better future, hope. That's what many feel they have lost. And when you think about it, that's what people all around the world want when suffering strikes, when disaster strikes, is we want hope, don't we? We want the promise of a better future. We have that message, that message of hope, that message that God has a plan to bless. This is the message which young Australians who are suffering from anxiety and loss of hope need to hear, that God has a plan to bless. It's the message that all Australians need to hear, whether we're suffering through bushfires or whatever economic troubles there are. It's the message we need to hear, that God has a plan to bless. It's the message which the whole world needs to hear, whether it's Natasha in the Ukraine or Hafsa in Ethiopia or Daya in Indonesia. It's the message the whole world needs to hear, that God has a plan to bless, a plan that climaxed in the sending of his own son, Jesus, who bore the curse on the cross in order that we and the people of the world might be blessed. That's the message the world needs to hear, and we have the privilege of being the messengers. Do you remember back in 2020 and 2021 when we had those lockdowns, And there was that fairly brutal moment where we all had the value of what we do evaluated by the government as either essential or non-essential. Do you remember that? Some people were told, you're essential, you can keep working, the rest of you have to stay home. And we all wanted to quickly look at the list to find out whether we were essential people or not. Remember what the government said? There were some people like doctor, yes, essential, nurse, yes, essential, grocer, 
Working at Woolies, definitely essential. Gym instructor, well, that started as a yes and then it turned into a no. Musician, that was just a straight no. Bartender, that was a definitely not. I wonder how you fared through that. Brothers and sisters, I want to say to you, whether you have a paid job or not, or whether the the job which you had was classified by the government as essential or not, I want to say to you that as a follower of Christ, as an implementer of God's plan to bless in this world through Jesus, there is nothing more urgent, there is nothing more essential. And the world needs many things, including doctors and nurses and grocers and even musicians. The world needs many things. But more than anything else, what the world needs is to know that God has a plan to bless through Jesus. That's what the world needs. And if you're a Christian, then God is carrying out that plan through you. And so what you are doing, who you are, is essential. It's right at the heart of what God is doing in this world, at the heart of God's purposes. The world is full of trouble. We live in a time of great trouble and brokenness. It's also a time of great opportunity. Because we have a message that the hurting world desperately needs to hear. Will you take that opportunity?